Welcome to the One Edinburgh podcast. At One Edinburgh, we are bringing together students from diverse backgrounds through cultural exchange and collaboration, working with international student societies as well as with the local community in Edinburgh to build a community of change makers. I'm Carmen, your podcast host, and I'm from Spain. Today, I'll be co-hosting our podcast with Gabriel, who's from Mexico and the UK. We are so excited to welcome Salome Beller, feminist, daughter, sister, activist, and friend, and one Scotland's National People Director to our podcast. Very welcome. Salo wears many hats and is an integral part of our team here at One Edinburgh. But today, we're going to dive into what makes her get up every morning and create the change she wants to see in the world. Salo was born and raised in Medellin, Colombia. From a young age, her inquisitive nature opened her eyes into the injustices faced by women and girls all around the world. From there, at age 11, she started the first chapter of Girl Up in Colombia, which is a UN campaign aiming to tackle gender discrimination through leadership, activism, and education. But her work doesn't stop there. She attended multiple panels around the world and is a young leader for women delivery a global advocacy organization championing gender equality and the health and rights for all girls and women. She somehow also finds time to write weekly articles for No Apto, a Medellin-based freelance opinion column, which gives her the opportunity to write about feminism, politics, activism, civil rights, and everything in between. Today, we're going to hear what Salo has to say about machismo in Latin America and its manifestation in the diaspora. This is a lot to discuss, but before we dive into our discussion, we have to ask Salo a very important question that we ask all our guests on our podcast. So Salo, what is your favorite coffee place in Edinburgh? This answer better be good since you come from coffee capital of the world. <laughs> Thank you both so much for having me in the podcast. I'm super excited. My favorite coffee place here in Edinburgh has to be 1505 right across from old college nobody believes me but I, I literally drag all my friends there because it's so good the coffee is it's so cheap and it's actually like really really nice and it's close to campus so it's perfect yeah that's amazing well I have to give that a try um I wanted to ask you first of all um I think it's important that we establish what machismo actually is so Salo in your own words what is machismo mm -hmm. what are its origins mm -hmm. I think, I mean, first of all, I am not a spokesperson for the movement of gender equality. I don't try to be. I think it, it is a huge movement. The, what I know I've learned because I'm interested and I've read and I've talked to people. Um, so just like the side note that my answer is definitely not the ultimate answer. But personally, I do think machismo is the physical and tangible representation of gender inequality. It is uh, very, very prevalent in Latin American countries, especially. Um, and it gives rise to so many, you know, situations in which the historical gender, you know, imbalances are, are demonstrated and are shown. So I would say that that is like the basic definition of it. You can obviously get into micromachismos and a lot of other things. But yeah, I would say that that is machismo as a whole, yeah. Yeah, it's something that is very prevalent through all our lives. When would you say you first experienced machismo and what motivated to you get up and say something about it? Mm, okay, so I started attending Model United Nations. I'm sure there's a lot of people that also attended them. I was 11 when I started going to these events, like these simulations, and I realized that in the press prizes, you know, like the 
informal prizes. So you obviously get like best delegate, whatever, but the press prizes were like prettiest, funniest, best argument, most yeah. argumentative, blah, blah, blah. And I started noticing a pattern um, where the prettiest were thin, white, blonde girls. Yeah. And the, you know, most argumentative were men. Um, and I would say that that is like when I first noticed it, that's what made me want to do some more research into gender inequality. But then the first time I truly, truly experienced it was also through Modern United Nations. I was the subsecretary general for my school's MUN. And um, so our boss, it was two of us, two girls that were um, subsecretaries. And the secretary general was a friend of mine, a guy. And we met with the directives of the school, whatever, to set up the event. And I disagreed with my boss. Oh. I disagreed with uh, the secretary general. And, you know, the other girl that was working with me, she also disagreed with him and we were trying to, you know, sort it all out, whatever. And then after the meeting was done, he called us to like a room in the library, yelled at us, say, told us, no. I am the boss. You have to listen to what I have to say. You cannot contradict me in public. You have to realize that you work for me and I am the boss. Granted, this is literally a modern United Nations in a school. Oh, no. So... It, it was crazy and then I ended up losing the secretary general position it went to the other girl and then wow. he was he was my best friend right and he started saying that he didn't give it to me because I was too conflictive oh. yeah and wow. you know I've, I've always I've never been shy about expressing my opinions and when you got down to it when I started thinking about it, it was like I was, you know, conflictive because I expressed my opinions. Yeah. And would I have been conflicted if I had been a guy? Probably not. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I've had similar experiences and I'm sure many of you can also uh, relate, which is, um, I think for me it was like, I don't have a specific moment like you, it was just like prevalent throughout mm -hmm. school because I'm always, if you've met me, I'm loud. I like to talk. <laughs> I've I've always been class delegate and class whatever mm -hmm. and like all of the things I've been. So then I started like very early on when you start like taking like note of all these things and how people treat you mm -hmm. and um, I started to like be labeled as like bossy and and like oh oh she she might not be like. I don't know like no no one was giving me any praise for like being driven or being mm -hmm. I was just always like oh she's bossy or oh she's like aiming too high and like she's like it's she's a bit much uh -huh, um like at school and I was like well all my like boy classmates are out here doing the same if not more and even like more like outrageously extroverted and I'm bossy and I'm doing too much. It's mm -hmm. it doesn't doesn't sit uh, right. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to ask, have you ever been a victim of machismo or like present of it? Well, it's, it's interesting because obviously uh, coming from the perspective um, of, of a boy at a time and, and a man as well, it, it's 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 also a privilege in the sense that one can realize machismo exists separately from experiencing it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it's definitely something that I'm thinking back as to, as to my childhood growing up in Mexico. Uh, I was relatively fortunate in the sense that in my family it was not necessarily prevalent. Um, my, my mother, who's, who's Mexican, made, made a good effort into making sure that that was not a value that was 
perpetuated mm-hmm. amongst uh, our family, amongst my, 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 my brothers and, and myself. Um, however, growing up around people, you can, I think, looking back retrospectively, I could definitely notice it. Um, but the thing is as well, it's just that it, it's, it's, in, it's entrenched in our, um, in our institutions and in our belief systems and our systems. So it's so easy for people uh, who are detached from it or who yeah. feel they're detached from it because uh, in reality who's really detached from anything any of this um it's really easy for them to feel like it all doesn't exist or it's or it's not as big as it as you think it is um i think for me i probably became conscious of it um around the same age teller as you were mentioning uh 10 or 11 which funny enough was a time at which i already left mexico but uh it was a time in which i was still around a lot of of latin american people and i was increasingly talking to people myself having my own conversations and realizing that these inequalities existed and realizing the scale of these inequalities um and it's it's when you start noticing the way people talk the way people interpret what you say um and um it's it's when it starts sticking and making an impact uh and i find it really interesting that the example you mentioned salo of Molly un um because it, it just seems like it's it's having gone to model un myself mm-hmm. the sort of the, what's valued uh, in terms of the prizes and things like that are inherently things that just fall in line with, with, with gender roles mm-hmm. and perpetuate these things. I don't know if you've noticed, I don't know how, if you've continued to do uh, Model UN in, in future, but I don't know if you've noticed continuing uh, up to now wh- whether these things stick and what that reflects as to the institutions we're meant to be modeling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got to a point where I realized that I don't believe in the UN system. <laughs> um, that's the nicest way I could put it. Um, and then I also started noticing that I didn't really accomplish anything in these spaces. Um, I mean, obviously, I practiced my you know, ability to deliver speeches and how to carry myself, part of parliamentary language, probably learn how to do my makeup because I was attending all these events yeah. and I had to look pretty. And uh, But um, I have extrapolated myself from modern UN because it was just a really cool thing that I did in school and that, mm. that was that. Through MUN, I discovered my activism, which yeah. is what truly drives me. and. You know, I've done it in a variety of ways in my throughout my life. Like at first it was girl up, you know, then I got trained in sexual reproductive health and rights and women deliver. Um, now I'm writing articles for No Apto every week. You know, you, you kind of drive your, your activism depending on the resources that you have available at the moment. And I've definitely become more aware of how machismo is impregnated everywhere yeah you know yeah and do you think because i think um we all come from cultures where it's very prevalent Mm -hmm. in general because you like us moved to edinburgh from far away did you feel that when you left colombia the machismo culture kind of like faded away at all Mm -hmm. or is that something you like are still noticing i thought it would i thought it would i was like So there, you know, this is like messed up, but you know, the first world, the third world, Hmm. oh, I'm going to Europe. I'm going to the first world, (laughs) the developed world. Yeah. Which is messed up in its own right. That's another conversation. But I I thought that the machismo that I experienced was going to disappear. It definitely has in some ways, for example, here in Edinburgh. I feel safe walking alone at night, which is a privilege I had never felt before. Hmm. (laughs) Like. Uh, in Medellin, it's incomprehensible for me to walk alone at night yeah. or even drive alone 
like it's unsafe and especially because I'm a woman um and here I can do it and fortunately I haven't had many experiences of like catcalling or things like that here but the systems in place for example within societies yeah. within um academics are still very much machista they're still very much you know unequal for for men and women so i i thought it was going to be better it hasn't been better in a lot of ways but that just made me realize the extent of the problem yeah because it's not something related to quote-unquote developing countries no. it's not something that only happens in the global south it's something that happens everywhere yeah. and that makes it you know my activism even more important yeah i think one of my friends uh put it in a very nicely way which is that in like third culture the, the, there are these stereotypes of machismo mm -hmm. but it's just here people speak about them and it's like oh this is machista oh this is uh like men and women are not equal they do speak about it but no one's doing it mm -hmm. like it still happens and it continues to happen so it's great that we're having conversation it's, it's great that people are more aware mm -hmm. but it's not like it still happens everywhere mm -hmm. um and unfortunately some people still don't see it as a problem um it, it's interesting that that we talk about it that way it's it's it almost falls back into the context of the institutions and the un you mm -hmm. mentioned before because it's like a consciousness of of uh talking about things and a sense that things are are somehow solved if you talk about them mm -hmm. but if you don't then look at the systems and then work to change the systems mm -hmm. yeah. uh, it ultimately the problems um, stay the same and you mentioned academia and I found that really interesting I was wondering if you could tell us mm. a little bit more about how you saw within the context of academics that, that um, inequality of course so in Colombia there have been a lot of high-profile cases of professors being abusive towards their female students and abusing oh. their positions of privilege um, even what was it two weeks ago the newly appointed ambassador to the united arab emirates um he was a university professor and when he got appointed all of these testimonies started coming forward all of these women started coming forward who had been his students saying that he was actually predatory and that he had you know done a lot of bad things he ended up like stepping down and i heard this podcast um, that he did where he was saying like I wasn't in a position of privilege um, no. I was only a, I was only a university professor tell me what privilege there is in being a university professor I was not the dean I was not a politician I was not rich I was a, and oh. so that opens a conversation to privilege and positions of power mm. um, here in Edinburgh I've heard about situations in which you know people men in positions of power yeah. you know abuse that um, to undermine women and women's success or, you know, to even become predatory towards women. Um, and that happens in the academic space. And so because you can't talk about these issues in the field of academics, it kind of is swept under the rug. Whereas um, if it happened in the street, it would have been much easier to be like this guy, you know, like this person said this and this, this person, whatever. But because it happens in a formal environment like academia and because, um, you know, we are all conditioned to not speak out when these things happen because they're yeah. seen as uncomfortable, then um, 
you know, that results in this huge silence. And obviously within the university, there's the, the problem with the redressal system of sexual assault cases as oh, well. Yeah. There was a protest <clears throat> recently. And I, I, it's funny because I see things happening here that were happening in Colombia. And again, yeah. I thought that, they, that it wouldn't be the case because, oh my God, University of Edinburgh, 15th in the world. And yet yeah. here we are. It's really infuriating because it's, everything's hushed. It's like, no, 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 it's, you can go. I think the redressal uh, system for the sexual assault, sexual assault was like um, recommending to go to, to like counseling mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, it's all very hushed and quiet. Mm -hmm. um, I do, I, I have also heard stories about, mm -hmm. um, yeah, men in position of power who think, like it's not even position of power of like, you're my teacher. It's mm -hmm. like, you are 10 years older than me. Mm -hmm. And you're like, It's that kind of people, it, people forget that you, we stopped being 18, what, two years ago, most of us, mm -hmm. something like that. It's not like, we're still very young. Mm -hmm. Some people are more impressionable than others. Mm -hmm. That is the position of power that you're in, regardless of if you're a university teacher or the dean. Mm -hmm. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's very infuriating. Yeah, mm -hmm. of course. It looks like in the university environment as well, it's especially for international students who, for many uh, people, is the first time living away from home, many times in a different country, a new language maybe, uh, sort of the power and the patriarchy seems to just reinforce the inequalities and it mm -hmm. puts people in even more vulnerable positions. Um, and it does, it's infuriating because mm -hmm. it, it doesn't get talked about. Yeah. Um, why do you think we need to emphasize what, like, enormous problem machismo is and how can we break the toxic cycle i think that the first step is recognizing that we're all machistas yeah we all have you know these ideas that we have been it's not our fault it's society's fault we were conditioned <laughs> to believe in certain things and in certain to have certain prejudices that have you know resulted in all of us becoming machistas and i think that the first step is definitely recognizing the unlearning that we all have to do because yeah. i still i still find myself in situations yes. where i'm like how did i think that oh my god yeah how did i how did i say that how you know i've, I've, I've definitely gotten better and i've done a lot of work within myself to deconstruct these notions these gender unequal notions these prejudices um that I was taught, not by my parents, but yeah. by society, by living in Medellin. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that is the first step. And then also not normalizing, you know, not normalizing the, the machismo that there is. Yeah, I, I also, like when you hear about um, people just going, oh, you did, I bet you didn't know, you know, you did this, but um, like, I think the most striking one that I find really annoying is when you're in um, tutorials, for example, mm. um, and then you speak, like when women speak, they have a tendency of being like, I don't know if this is right, or maybe I'm wrong, or I'm not oh really sure about this, and then proceed with like the most comprehensive sentence that you've ever heard <laughs> in your life. And like, guys just don't, it, it happens obviously, but it happens less in men, they just, they're confident with it. We're t we're, it's like, we're, Why are we not confident? Why mm -hmm. don't you say, this is the answer to this question, instead of being like, I think I heard, I'm not sure about, mm -hmm, or like, mm -hmm. in, even in emails, mm -hmm. speaking, it's just, how, why does that happen? 
because again it all comes down to conditioning so you know and and the gender binary which is you know it, it i i think that people are separated into male or female and you can't have both you can't have female who are more male and you can't have and i'm not talking about sex i'm not talking about anything of that i'm talking about there's traits that have been associated with maleness and traits that have been associated with femaleness and for example for me my favorite color when i was growing up was pink mine too and then i was like oh my god this is like super traditionally feminine actually my favorite color is black <laughs> so I start because I started recognizing the traditionally feminine things and, and, and traits that I had I started rejecting them because I thought that that made me a bad feminist per se yeah um, I've, I'm at a point now where I embrace my whole self my, my most quote unquote masculine, masculine traits and my quote unquote most feminine traits yeah. um, because life is a spectrum you can't really put people into boxes um, and so I think that, yes, it comes down to conditioning. And um, particularly for me, I was born in a family where my parents did not treat me differently because I was female. They did not treat my brother differently because he was a guy. They treated us the same. But when I got to school, again, I was bossy. Um, I spoke too much in class. I me got too. in trouble in the second grade because I, I spoke too much in class. And yet there's all these boys who are throwing erasers at the blackboard and being super disruptive but that's fine because that is that is what little boys do right yeah boys will be boys yes yeah. exactly so i think that it comes down to conditioning and again that is why it's so important to unlearn all of these things and notice them when they come up mm-hmm. yeah if i want to ask you if you could say anything to to anyone in the latin american diaspora who's a victim of machismo mm-hmm. what would you say Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's a very tough question. Yeah. Um I mean definitely I would again tell them to try and work on their own machismo. Yeah. First and foremost, I think that's the first step towards achieving anything. But when you're a victim of it, you feel really really guilty. You feel like you you did something wrong. Um, you feel like, you know, I, I was told a couple days ago that I spoke too much, and yeah. it's like, you know, yeah, it, it 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 makes you feel bad, and it makes you feel, it makes you feel like, like oh, okay, I speak too much. I'm not I'm not gonna speak yeah. <laughs> anymore. Um, well. so for that, I would say just be conf- confident in yourself. Yeah, you know because these criticisms and these comments aren't coming from a place of love they're not coming from a place of education yeah they're coming from a prejudiced place and also forgive the people that that incur in that because we are all born in a society that teaches us this and there's simply people that have not recognized the work they need to do within themselves obviously you're not going to go and hug them yeah but also just for your own sake and for your own peace of mind forgive them and respect the fact that you are in your own process and you will actually be the change they can do whatever they want you can obviously call them out or whatever but forgive them for for being prejudiced and for being machista yeah i feel like being a feminist sometimes you're taken 
taking on more than when you can handle mm. it's a very frustrating thing to be a feminist <laughs> you anyone needs to realize that you can't be 100% correct 100% of the time mm -hmm. it's like you said we're all machistas we all need to learn it needs if this conversation is going to happen it needs to come from a place of understanding mm -hmm. and in a place from compromise from everyone machistas mm -hmm. non-machistas feminists everyone so it's just i completely agree with being gentle mm -hmm. um with yourself Gabriela and I now want to pick on you a little bit because <laughs> as a man, what um, what can men do to stop the oppressive cycle? And it's, it's a good question and I'd also love to see what uh, Salo has to say about this afterwards as well. Um, I, I suppose what I've tried to do, at least in my in my groups, um, when I've, I try to listen as much as I can to what people are saying on identifying what, what, what the, where the biases are in there, where the elements of machismo exist. Uh, and try to, I'm trying to pinpoint where they come from. Uh, and it's a difficult thing to do because ultimately it's systemic. It comes from everywhere. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's sort of, a, mm -hmm. it's in the background almost of, of, of so much of what we do in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, so it's not just about picking what it is, but it's also picking when people use it. Um, I, I try to engage with people in, in conversation as much as I can to try and understand um, why, why they think these things. Uh, and um, I sort of try and recognize across different countries the, 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 the patterns that exist whilst also recognizing that it's everywhere, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's empowering and, and supporting uh, women in making sure that they, uh, women and girls, and making sure that they, they're able to, to, to say these things and they're able to be supported when they do. Mm -hmm. Because um, it, confidence is, is something that we can promote internally, but also so much of it for anyone is based on, on, on what other people are also saying. If people are supporting you when you're being confident, you're gonna keep being confident or more likely to continue being confident. So it's about empowering those um, uh, people that stand up, stand up for yourself as well, and, and, and say these things, recognize that this exists. I think a lot of, a lot of men and boys, unfortunately, don't recognize it because um, I don't exactly know why they think so. Maybe they feel that by recognizing it, they, they take on blame, and for them that means that they um, have to defend their views. But I, I think it's recognizing that, as, as you said, Sela, we're, we're, we're all machistas to an extent. Mm -hmm. And recognizing yeah. it is not a conflictual thing to realize. Mm -hmm. It's a unifying thing to realize. Mm -hmm. exactly. And it brings people together. Um, so I, I, I try to at least tell people when I can that if, if, if they're not in a position to listen actively, it's difficult. But it's, it's about creating those conversations when they didn't exist before. Yeah, and I really like how we now need to stop saying these things from a place of anger and blame. Mm -hmm. It's just like you said listening in mm -hmm. conversations mm -hmm. and like understanding it no one's blaming anyone for anything mm -hmm. no one's against men no mm -hmm. one's saying that machismo is like men's fault and they've created it and it's the root of all evil like it's something that unfortunately happens mm -hmm. and happens all the time and we need to somehow mm -hmm. eradicate it and i know we've talked a little bit about this but does any of you have any ideas on how we could take the first step towards eradicating machismos? Mm -hmm. I think you also, and just going off of what you said, Gabe, um, realizing your own privilege, um, because there's so many facets of it, and going back to what I, the case that I that I talked about, there are so many types of privilege, and yes, in fact, there is, there are many privileges that men have for the sake of being men. Um, and there are also privileges that women have for the sake of being women, such as being able to 
express their emotions without absolutely have it be having it backfire on them in the like in the workplace for that's the first example that comes to my head but there's also privileges you know economic privileges there are also privileges about where you were born um there's also you know privileges about how you look yeah because you know we're sold this beauty ideal and and just i think again that goes into the deconstruction side of of realizing where I stand in the world in relation to other people and empathy is at the core of that. Um, and having conversations is, I cannot stress how important that is um, yeah. because you not only learn from the people that you, that you have conversations with, but you also learn how to better argument or how yeah. to, you know, people will, people will show you the, the fallacies in your logic and they will show you, you know, Oh, actually i didn't research this i should probably yeah. go and and have a, a solid answer when the next person asks me you know um and that is very motivating and it's also like you said game a unifying factor conversation because at the end of the day we're all humans we're yeah. literally all humans and i like to believe that human nature is good and that when given the opportunity to fix the world and make everyone have equal rights and opportunities. I'd like to think that anyone would do it. Um, it's just, you know, reaching across the table and starting that conversation and also doing the work within yourself. Absolutely. And it's, it's very important to have conversations, especially with people who don't think like you. Exactly. Because of all the reasons you highlighted and because if not, we're not getting anywhere. You're not gonna preach to the choir mm -hmm. and just like have, yeah, because this is bad and everyone go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to have those uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. And I hope this podcast was a start, a, a start mm -hmm. of it. I hope you're all having uncomfortable conversations at mm -hmm. home after listening to this and I want to thank you so much uh, for joining us Salo mm, in the One Edinburgh podcast this has been such an informative episode and I truly hope we've inspired you guys our listeners to into action no matter how big or small um, if you wanted to keep up with Salo and her words you can find her on Instagram and Twitter at Salo Beller. and thank you to everyone who's listened to this far Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode so please leave us a review if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcast follow us on the one underscore Edinburgh to be the first to know when we upload a new, new episode with that have a good rest of your day and goodbye